Okay, good evening everyone. We'll, we'll go ahead and get started as we've got a few people still coming in. A busy, a busy night again here uh, at Hillcrest in, in the month of July. We have uh, our parenting class going on and, and the, uh, the kids, uh, the kids fun, fun Wednesdays going through the rest of the month. So um, we've got that and then we have several D groups meeting, but uh, thanks to all of you that are uh, joining the Bible study this evening. But let me go ahead and open us in prayer, and then we'll get right in into the message for tonight, uh, followed by our, our regular prayer time. But let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come before you today here in the middle of the week, and just so grateful, thankful, Father, for just how you, you love us and how you care for us, Father, for how you hold us up. Father, we're just um, we're so grateful for that. We we just pray for for all that's going on here tonight. Just pray that uh, Jesus would be lifted up, Father. That the children that are participating, that they would um, that they would see Jesus in in what is taught and in the, in the games that they play and the the fun that they have and the parenting class, Father. That they would just learn some uh, valuable um, tools in, in raising godly families. Just thank you for them and for Pastor Stephen and Leslie and, and their leading in, in that area, Father. Just, just bless that time together. And, and then, Father, for us, as we open your word and tonight in the, in the book of Nehemiah and looking at a, a familiar story there, Father, and, and how to handle... Um, one of these giants that we that we're talking about here, these uh, these three sessions in July last week, uh, looking at at fear, overcoming fear, and tonight looking at battling discouragement. Just pray that you would just bless this time together. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, la- last week, as I, I mentioned, we we're going to over the next three Wednesdays, we'll be going um, back and, and looking at how the, the promises of God can help us do battle with some of the age-old strategies of the devil. And we, we looked at one of those last week, and, and that was fear. But you know, the devil will, will use everything he can to discourage believers. And, and tonight, we're, we're actually looking at that, um, that, that discouragement in a, in a lesson titled Battling Discouragement. And then next week... Uh, the, our final session, we'll look at freedom from loneliness. <clears throat> Let me start out, though, just a couple questions here, and just, just think about it. But um, would you be able to um, talk about hope after a string of unthinkable calamities? And I know we've all had those in our own lives or in our families' lives, um, but, but would you still be able to talk about hope? How well have you focused on the, the positive and eliminated the negative during the low points of your life? We know the words um, are true. There is always hope, and as believers, we, we know that, and we, we read that, and we tell others, but sometimes it's, it's hard, hard to believe them. All of us suffer through bouts of discouragement. The dictionary defines discouragement as, uh, as to deprive of courage, to deter or dishearten or to hinder all these D words, and you can throw in doom, depression, defeat, and despair along with that when you talk about discouragement. 
the mind dwells on them when life has us pinned down. And it's just a, it's a natural fabric of, of how, we, how we think and how we process things. The New Testament uses three Greek words to carry the idea of discouragement. And these words are disheartened. We see that throughout Scripture. Uh, dispirited and the actual word discouraged. And these, these words are always translated in Scriptures are to faint or to grow weary. For example, the Apostle Paul, he warns us to take special care about not becoming the source of discouragement for our children. And I'm sure that's uh, one of the things they'll be discussing here, here next door in, in, in parenting is don't, don't we want to discipline, but we don't want to be a source of discouragement. Uh, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. As parents, we can provoke by being too harsh or demanding or, or too controlling or unforgiving or just plain angry and, and with an angry attitude or losing our, our temper. So um, Paul warns us about being careful there. Another type of uh, discouragement or disheartening Paul um, brings up in 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul speaks to those who may become disheartened in ministry. You know, did you ever think that, that could happen <laughs> when you're doing God's work and doing what he, he has called you to do? You can still face times of, of being discouraged or disheartened. And it says here, therefore, since we have the ministry, meaning the ministry of, of the gospel, that is our ministry, the ministry of, of reconciliation and, and, and sharing the gospel, since we have that ministry, as we have received mercy like we have received mercy from Christ as believers, we do not lose heart. So because of that, we are, are not to lose heart. Then later on in verse 16, um, I can relate to this one, after, you know, just having a birthday th this past week, but it says he encourages us not to become discouraged at the outward man as the, that outward man deteriorates because what is inside of us is being renewed daily. So, as we know, these old aches and, and pains and the, these bodies of ours that are in the flesh and uh, that we're, even with that, we're not to become discouraged, but be encouraged by knowing that we can be renewed each and every morning when we, we rake, wake up and, and go before the Lord. And then Jesus himself brings up the subject of discouragement in, in the context of prayer. In Luke 18.1, uh, he tells a parable that, and, and with the emphasis being that, that men ought to always pray and, and not lose heart. But the parable of the persistent widow, and all of you know the story there, which um, a judge that was a, a non-believer, and the, this woman, this widow, kept coming to him seeking, seeking justice from her adversaries, and, and just through her persistence, the, the judge handled, handled her case be, because of that persistence. Jesus using it as, as a parable in how we should be persistent in prayer. We must live and breathe and take up residence in prayer or we'll be sure to faint, to grow weary, to lose heart. It takes diligent faith and prayer to live above discouragement. And we'll see that in our, our passage here when we, we get into the, the story of Nehemiah. And, you know, discouragement is not just a personal issue. You know, entire nations can, can become discouraged and, and, and lose hope. 
It happened in the darkest days of Israel, you know, with both Israel and Judah. When the invaders rolled in, Judah specifically, the Babylonians destroyed the holy city of Jerusalem, looting its wealth, carrying away its people into enslavement in a distant land. We all know, know the story. It seemed that God's chosen people had, had lost it all. They lost their land, their pride, and their identity as a nation that, that, that were originally set apart for a special destiny. God's people were dispersed across the, the nations, and these were dark days of lamentation and weeping for, the, for, the, uh, for Judah and for Israel. But then after, after a time, and this kind of is the start of our story, uh, after that time of deep despair came a time of hope and, and restoration. A ruler named Cyrus, the Persian, came to power. And you remember the story? He gave permission for the Jewish exiles to, to go back home. In, in the time, uh, this was in, in the time of the, um, really the first and the second return and the rebuilding of the temple. We, there are uh, really three major figures that um, were involved in there. Zerubbabel, who went first about uh, 80 years, he went about 80 years before Ezra and Nehemiah to start the building of the temple. But then the two names that we're most familiar with would be a priest named Ezra, and, and then an administrator who ultimately became the governor uh, is, by the name of Nehemiah. Ezra was the priest to, to men broken hearts, this tag team of these two men. Uh, he, he was there uh, to, to preach the word, to um, read the word out loud as we remember the story in Ezra in front of the people and, and they all re- repented. But then you had Nehemiah is the rebuilder of broken dreams. The story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem contains a liberating message about the renovation of hope from a rubble of discouragement, which is what, what they were facing. We find, uh, find all this in the fourth chapter of, of Nehemiah. Um, he, we, we see these, um, it's a really exciting time. So the story is Nehemiah, the, the gifted organizer, he arrived here on the scene in a chaotic situation. But he was able to galvanize the community and, and jumpstart this rebuilding project of the wall that had stalled because of, um, just because of opposition to it. <clears throat> so with the walls uh, lying in ruins, the people of Israel had not had the luxury of, of peaceful sleep. And if you know, uh, I've read about the walls back then in, in, a, in a city it was so important for the protection of the people, even though the, the temple had been, been rebuilt. They continue to face invaders and onslaughts from, uh, from the, the enemies that would, would come in and just, you know, pretty much take what they wanted without a wall to fortify the city. So they, they really, they didn't have that. And it, it was a deliberate strategy by the enemy to, to squelch the threat of a Hebrew revival. Uh, these, these Sambalat and um, really the, the group opposing Sambalat, the Samaritans from the north, Tobiah, we see in the story. And, and then we see the Ammonites, Geshem, and then the Arabs from the south. So all of these were um, opposing what was going on there. Nehemiah 4, verse 8. Go ahead and you can turn to Nehemiah, and we'll be kind of going in and out with, when we look at these uh, several points we're going to go over. But in Nehemiah 4, 8, it tells us they, they formed a, a kind of dark.
Okay, can you hear me? Okay, so, and, and this group, they plotted together to, to come and fight against Jerusalem and, and cause confusion. The, great, the greatest weapons in their arsenal, you know, it wasn't bows and arrows and, or, uh, you know, guns, which, you know, they didn't have, but they had bows, bows and arrows then. Uh, but it was fear and discouragement. Those were the weapons that they used, and we'll see that in these passages. But, but God had a different plan. He has empowered his visionary servant, Nehemiah, in a mighty way. And day by day, the work went on. You know, brick, brick by brick, the walls were rising again, so they, they had started rebuilding. And here in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, as, as we come into this story, the work is halfway complete. The people can smell victory, and yet the, the wisdom of experience, and I think we would all agree with this, but that can be the most precarious and dangerous time whenever we're halfway through a, a big project. Uh, I know a lot of you have probably experienced that. You're, you're tired, you're worn out, you still see you have a long, a long ways to go, and it, it's easy to become discouraged and wondering if you're going to be able to, to obtain, obtain that goal. Uh, let, me, let me read um, six, 6 through 10 here, and that's Nehemiah 4, 6 through 10. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And then we prayed to our God, set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is, is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. So when, when the people began to hear Tobias and, and Sambalot's words of warning directed toward Nehemiah, they, they began to grow discouraged. So this was Nehemiah's challenge. He, he, he had to defeat this discouragement, first of all, in his own life, uh, from what, what they were facing. And then he had to encourage all of the, the, the builders and, and those that were, that were constructing the wall. We can learn lessons from Nehemiah on how to keep from giving in to the, this giant of discouragement that we're talking about this evening. From Nehemiah, we can find out how to guard our, our own heart and mind and how to stay encouraged and how to recognize what makes us vulnerable to discouragement. That's the, the key of, uh, of battling it, is to know what makes us vulnerable. So what I'd like to look at is first uh, four factors, and Dylan will put the up one at a time, but four factors in recognizing discouragement. And the first one here is fatigue. In, in verse 10 of Nehemiah 4, we learn that the strength of the labors that we just read was, was failing. Because we know the wall was finished in 52 days. We see that in, in chapter 6, verse 15. They've, if it was halfway done, they must have been on the job for 25 or 30 days, hard at work, with little sleep, that would have left their entire work, workforce fatigued. Someone has said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. 
I think we can all agree with that, you know, when we're just at our, our uh, wit's end with just exhaustion. We are absolutely more, more vulnerable to discouragement when, when we are tired, and we, we should recognize that. Um, a lot of our discouragement comes from just being uh, fatigued physically, mentally. So we, we need to take time to rest. We need, we need to take breaks. We, uh, we see Jesus doing that, don't we? Getting away from the crowds and, and you know, going to the, the mountains to pray and to, and to get away. We need to take that time to recuperate mentally, mentally physically, and this, this will actually help us accomplish more in the long run. Just understanding, and you've heard this expression, that life is a marathon and, and not a sprint. And we should organize our, our life in that way. Scheduling um, margin in our, in our schedule, you know, downtime and, and, and time to, to rest. So secondly, in, in this same verse, really in verse 10, we see frustration. This is point number two. Not only was the strength of the workers failing, but there was so much rubbish in the way. And this is from the, the wall, the original wall that was around Jerusalem. All that hadn't been cleared out. So there was this rubbish everywhere. And, you know, how do you start building a, a new wall to you with these big stones and, and blocks in, in the way? So this was, again, from the original destruction by Babylon. While it's perhaps the most important part, this foundation, it's not nearly as much fun to, to clear the site and get ready to build as it is uh, to see the walls rising. You know, Jackie and I walk in our neighborhood a lot, walk, walk our dogs, and they're building a, a brand new section of the neighborhood that, you know, we don't like because they've torn down all the trees and it's just kind of sad, really. But they've been doing that over a year, haven't they, Jackie? It's been over a year that all we see is trees being torn down, dirt being moved, um, and literally it has been over a year and not the, first, not the first house being built, but we see storm drains being put in, we see uh, a lot of stuff going on, not the exciting stuff like the, the pretty homes that are going up, but it, it, it certainly can be frustrating um, you, you know, when you can't see the full picture and all they saw in front of, in front of them was, was rubble. There are, um, there, it's been said there are three ways to live life. To, you can live it out, which is the preferable way that we want to live, to live life out, live it to the fullest, um, to wear out. None of us want to be those that just wear out and, and, or thirdly to burn out. And, of course, it's all our desire to live out. Some say burnout is working too hard, but that's not really a, a good defini definition of it. You know, many, you, there's a lot of hard workers and a lot of people that, that work hard and, and they love what they do, but they, they're energetic and you, you can't say that they're, they're burnt out. And that's because they work with focus and perspective. And, you know, certainly that's what we see in, in Nehemiah here. Under all that he was under, he had focus and perspective in, in what he was, God had called him to do. And the, these people, they have something called vision. They move toward that, and the, the goals they set are attainable. The true nature of burnout is working too hard at the wrong things, which that is something that, that's pretty easy to do, to get, off, to get off on that track. 
It's striving for a goal you can't accomplish or an unrealistic goal. Perhaps a goal no one can accomplish on, on their own. Perhaps you know, people go out on their, their own without, without getting help. Um, that, that's why we focus so much on D groups and, and small groups here. You, you know, this, this Christian life and this walk uh, of ours, you know, sometimes it's not easy, especially in the, in the culture and the world that we live in. And um, it, it's hard to go it alone. It's hard to mature as a believer when you're going it alone without being in a group or, or without assembling with God's people like we do every Sunday and, and Wednesday here corporately. And um, so, they, so we see here in a word that they just they became frustrated. Point number three, let's look at this one, is failure. And again in, in verse 10, a lot packed into this little verse in verse 10, we see the first three points pack, packed in here. The strength of the laborer is, fa- is uh, failing, and that, that's fatigue, which we've already looked at. There was so much rubbish which that's the frustration, the rubbish in their way. And then thirdly, this, this point, they were, they were not able to build the wall because of all that. So what do we have there? We have failure. It's easy to see why, why they would think that they might fail, being exhausted and hemmed in by the rubble on every side when they were just halfway done. Remember, they were only halfway, a long way to go. You can imagine the workers beginning to talk among themselves and, you know, we just can't do it. And uh, how are we going to you know, get all this rubble out of the way? So as they work, the, the fueling of the fire of failure within them just continued to grow. Um, we have to remember th- this, that in a fallen world, failure is part of life. You know, we're, we're not always going to succeed in everything we do. There's things that God will show us through our failures, right? Wouldn't you agree to that? We learn. We learn from those. So, um, you know, there's no reason to walk around and, and live life so um, discouraged be, because of that. Failing is not the issue, but what we do when we fail is. The great danger is, though, in letting our negative thoughts and impressions be compounded by that adversity we suffer, by letting that get out of hand, by internalizing that, that failure, that discouragement so much that we get to the point where we are, are suffering and, and we, um, it, it hinders our relationships with, with our, our own family and, and with our friends. When things go wrong, we're more willing to give an ear to the enemy who is the world's greatest demotivational speaker, which is the devil, um, and and we slowly but surely begin to buy into his lies and distortions. Things like, um, I've not accomplished anything at all. You you know, I I haven't been successful. You know, I I haven't gotten the promotion at work that I think I deserve. Uh, We we murmur, I am a, a failure. Failure is the final stepping stone to discouragement. So we, we need to deal with that and understand it. And finally, uh, point number four in this, this section is fear. Last week, we, we looked at fear. We looked at that giant of fear. Uh, we, we see this in verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> we identified it as a, as a communicable sin. Remember, we talked about fear, how uh, it's like somebody shouting fire in a room, you, you, you know, and it just spreads. And people panic. 
uh, just like that wildfire that starts with a spark, um, it, it spreads. Remember the situation we talked about last week in, in Kadesh Barnea. Remember the, the 12 spies? And t- 10 of those spies came back from uh, Canaan and said, we can't do it. You know, we're afraid of, the, uh, afraid of the giants. And these 10 men determined the destiny of an entire nation for 40 years. It, it, amazing what, what that discouragement and the, the, the talk around it can cause. Their, their words of uh, fear so infected the rest of the people that they became fearful to, to take the promised land that, that God had promised. You see, fear certainly leads to discourage, discouragement. In uh, 11 and 12, it shows us that here. Uh, let's read that, Nehemiah 4, 11 and 12. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you, you must return you must return to us, meaning, the, hey, the, these guys are going to kill you, and, you, you know, you, you, need to get, you need to get out of there. Boy, what, um, what discouragement, what discouragement that, that could be when you he- are hearing that kind of talk from the adversaries. Those working on the walls, um, they, they heard this and that they were uh, planning on killing them. Those who were opposed to rebuilding the walls were, were coming in among them, and they were, they were even coming up to the wall from some of the commentaries I read and whispering in their ears, you, you know, get, getting that close. Hey, we're going to get you, you know. When, when, it's, when it's dark, look out. We're coming for you. We shouldn't be surprised at that sort of tactic resulting in fear. Relentless criticism that, that we face and, and threats uh, from one's enemies, and in particular, we talked about the devil, can begin to take their toll over time. Or those that we, we face that were persecuted, um, you, you know, whether it be on, on the, the job or even among families uh, with, with some of the divisions that we see um, because of this world we live in. So what, what is the how-to? So how do we respond when we're tired, like these people were, when we're frustrated, when we're on that verge of failure and fearful about the future? How do we keep from getting stuck in this grind of discouragement? So what I want to look at here uh, next in in the last half here of of the message is responding um, to discouragement in five steps that we see that Nehemiah took to um, first overcome discouragement himself and then to help the people overcome it. The first thing Nehemiah did, which is often the last thing we do, let's, let's look at it in verses, um, kind of going back through some of these verses with this in mind and how, how to respond to discouragement. But in verse 4, let's read verse 4 and 5 and, and then verse 9. Here, here's how Nehemiah handled this. And it, it was started with prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where, where they are captives. And then verse 5, do not cover their guilt and, do not, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And then down in verse 9, 
and we prayed to our God, set a guard as, as protection against them day and night. So what do we see there? Certainly taking it to the Lord in prayer. And, but then not just sitting there. He took action, didn't he? He, he, he made plans to um, put guards in, in place where you had, you had men working and uh, they had a weapon in one hand working with the other. You had shifts that would guard and watch their back as, as they worked. So um, how many times, though, have we heard people use this phrase when we were talking about prayer? We've tried everything. Now all we can do is pray. So that's, uh, you, you know, that, that's certainly, certainly got that backwards. Um, so we, we don't want to wait till, until the last resort to, to look up. When discouragement comes, start, at, start right at the top. I mean, learn, learn from one of the best, David, you, you know, in, in the, the book of Psalms. What, what are the Psalms filled with? Uh, a lot of David's um, laments and his, it's his journal basically, isn't it? David's journal and, and his crying out to God when, when he was either feel, fearful or discouraged. So uh, the Psalms needs to be second nature to you. You know, there's a lot of people on reading plans where you read a Psalm a day and a Proverbs a day. There's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom to that in doing that along with um, every other devotion that you read. <clears throat> but David was brutally honest about his discouragement. We see that vividly in the Psalms. And again, really, a, 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 he's opening up his journal for us is basically what it is. We get a peek into it. And, and, and his journal and the book of Psalms and God's word really becomes our mentor. It becomes our teacher. Um, we're learning through, the, through Psalms and other scripture how to cry out to God when we are discouraged. Then, then point two is continue the work God's given you to do. We, we see, again, brick by brick, even with the, even with the um, discouragement that they face, they were consistent. They continued to do the work that God had given them to do, and, and they knew that it was God's work. In, in verse 6, Nehemiah 4, 6, it says, So we built a wall, and, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. So they had filled in the gaps. They had got the wall up to half its height. Um, and why? How were they, why were they able to do that? For the people had a mind to work. They were willing to, to work. They were willing to work hard because they knew that this was uh, for their protection, and they knew it was for their own good. They knew that they had God behind them, and they had a leader leading them. Why is it sometimes that our uh, immediate reaction to adversity is to quit? Like the angry little boy who takes his ball and goes home, you know, off the playground. Um, you know, people can be, the, adults can be the same way. People get angry and leave churches, don't they? Because something didn't quite go just right or, or, or go their way. Um, people quit jobs irrationally instead of, stick, instead of sticking it out and, and really trying to work th through things. Um, people walk away from marriages. How often do we see that today when, when things get a little tough instead of, um, you, you know, sticking it out and, and really going back to God's word for what a marriage should be. And, you know, so many times people just, um, at, at any sign of adversity, they just, they, they throw in the towel. And really it's all because they've encountered this predictable season of discouragement. 
and they, they get discouraged and think they, they just can't make it through this. There's a, there's a better way. And of course, that's the, the worst thing we can do. We always come to regret our emotional walkouts. Think about that. You know, when we, when we make rash decisions and, and emotional, uh, emotional decision, Satan knows if he can play on our emotions and, and get us to quit, he can keep the, the problem from being resolved. Isn't that right? With a marriage, for example, if he can play on that, that emotion of a man or woman that, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, you know, this person can do this for me that my, my spouse can't. And, you know, they, they, they start internalizing that. And then, you know, the, the devil gets them where he wants. Uh, discouragement to the point in their marriage, they don't want to make it work. He, he can keep God's work just like he was trying to do here from moving forward or God's plan for moving forward when people come discouraged. But we can learn from Nehemiah. He felt all the discouragement of the people, but he never, again, never put down the trowel. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at bricklayers. You know, I've been around construction, and a lot of you guys have just, I mean, you, they may not, they're fast, but, you, you know, you may not see them, running off the scaffolding and running around the job site. But boy, you see that trowel in their hand and it's all day long, five days a week, eight, eight hours a day or, or longer, just, um, just not, not missing a beat in, in laying the brick. And the, you, you see here Nehemiah and the people, they just kept plodding on in, in light of this, this discouragement they were facing. Yes, they had problems to deal with, but he wasn't going to uh, set aside the mandate that God had given him. Remember, they, they, uh, this was God's will for, for them to rebuild this wall. The people had a mind and a heart to work. Nehemiah helped them see it, and he helped them see that productive lab- labor is just what the doctor ordered. It's helpful and therapeutic to work off frustration. Boy, how, how many times have we seen people that are discouraged or depressed that just sit in the house and do nothing, does that make it better? No, it, it, it makes it work, worse. But to get out and to, and to, to work hard, to, to put in a, a hard day's work is, is, is good for that, um, good for discouragement. Needless to say, it's also a great way to bring a little discouragement to the enemy. Uh, that, you know, if you go step ahead to uh, chapter 6, verse 3, we see there, um, not really part of the text, but important, that Sambalat and Gisham, after this was after the wall was built and every, everything was just, just about finished, they tried four times to get Nehemiah to stop again, to stop working and to meet them. Nehemiah knew right away and told him no four times. He knew they were going to ambush him is what the story was. They were going to kill him. Um, and then what a great response Nehemiah had. He said, I'm doing a great work so that I can't come down. Why should this work that I'm doing cease while I leave it and go down to you? You know, for me personally, and um, you know, as a, as a, a deacon and, and, and then now in doing what I'm doing now and, and um, you know, the, the longer I've done that and I guess the longer um, or the more I've visited people in the hospital and, and praying with people that um, are just either through sickness or through um, just being able to help them through the, 
opening the Word of God together and, or just, a, again, just a, a visit or doing something kind, it, that, that just fills my, my soul and any discouragement that, that I had over my little problems or things that I had going, going on, they just, they just fade, just fade, fade in the background. And that, that works, y'all. I mean, just to, to be able to get your focus off yourself onto others is one of the greatest ways to, um, to defeat discouragement. And then three, um, concentrate on the big picture. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, let me just read that. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we see Nehemiah's men were fanned out across the perimeter working on different sections of the wall. And that, that was a problem because they were isolated. They couldn't see each other. They couldn't draw encouragement from each other and, and communicate. <clears throat> they could only see their own little hole in the wall and their own little pile of rubbish ne next to them. So it was, it was very difficult to maintain perspective, to concentrate on the big picture. We tend also to reduce our, our world to that. You know, we, we work in a world of cubicles and, you, you know, we, we've, got, um, we've got our own little space and especially it seems like since COVID, people are more to themselves. And, um, but your cubicle, uh, you may not have a window, but you can always keep a, a window wide open in, you, in your spirit. And you know, that window wide open to uh, your, your time with God first. But then also, again, as we talked about here, your time with other brothers and, and sisters in Christ. So open, it, um, open that window to God and to others and hold on to the big picture. Nehemiah rallies the workers to continue their work in light of the bigger picture. They weren't just stacking blocks or building a little section of wall. They were building a, a huge wall that would enclose the city. And again, that, that wall that would protect them and their families. And uh, fourthly, Claim the encouragement of God's promises. Nehemiah 4.14, let me just read that. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In times of discouragement, don't, don't walk to the word of God. Run, run there, run to it. When your heart's ailing, you need a transfusion of, of hope and power from these promises of God that we continue to, to talk about. <clears throat> uh, there's 7,200 of them I mentioned in a, that messages on, on promises. So, you, you know, you, um, you, you just got to keep claiming the promises. If you don't know one for the day, keep reading. I mean, if you, uh, there, there's what, that's 20, that's 20 promises a day you know, 356 days in a year, you keep reading, you're going to come across the promise of God that, that, that's going to help you. Don't, and don't wait till you feel like it. You can't act your way into feeling. You just, you can't, you, you can't do it. You, um, you, but you can feel your way in, into acting. 
meaning if you just start doing it um, and, and you start reading God's word, even when you don't feel like it and you're praying to God for uh, a promise in his word, then, then, then God's going to reveal that to you. But if you, if you don't make yourself do it, there's, you, you know you're out of luck. As we know, the Word of God is no ordinary book, and He yearns for you to find Him in passages like uh, Psalm 46, 1 through 3, uh, that a lot of you know here. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and, and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and, and be troubled, though the mountain shake with its swelling. In spite of all that, God is our refuge and strength. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, it is impossible to become discouraged, and we'll, we see this in this verse, even while, while doing all the right things. It is possible. As, and it says here to, to combat that in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, Paul says, As you brothers do not grow weary in doing good. You may be serving Christ with all your heart, like we said earlier, and still be discouraged. The Bible says in, in Galatians 6, 9, it, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. Why? And why should we not grow weary? For in due season you will reap the reward that, that Jesus has for us if we don't give up. So when we find ourselves uh, low because we've lost perspective, uh, of whom we are serving or, or why we're doing it or how God plans to reward us. We need to remember the reaping and run to God's word and, and, help, uh, and let that help lift you up. And then finally, number five, and we hit on this both with how to, um, how to overcome fear, the, the, fifth, the fifth point is carry someone else's burden. We talked a little about that in, in 16 through 23. Don't have time to read all that, but let me just kind of summarize. We find something in these, in these um, last verses here of our text. Interesting take place. People helping people. Some were carrying, some were guarding, some were building. <clears throat> some, uh, with, like I mentioned, swords strapped on. They even stayed up all night to continue the work. They carried one another's burdens, as we see in Galatians 6, 9. And we're able to accomplish this great task of rebuilding the wall in just 52 days, which was remarkable. Nehemiah 6.16 then said, All the nations around them fell afraid, knowing that the God of Israel was with them. So when they witnessed that and saw that, just like people will witness that in our life when we face adversity, and why is that person not... Um, discouraged um, why do they still have the joy then we just like they are, are going to know that we, we've been with Jesus that we have Jesus in, in, in us and working through us just like we saw last week in 1 John 4.18 when we talked about how to cast out fear we said perfect love right Perfect love casts out fear. So loving others practically, that, and, and that's love put into action. When we do that, we're not only going to cast out fear, we're going to cast out discouragement. Again, getting our minds off ourselves. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll close with this, in this verse in Matthew. 
Jesus himself makes us a, a wonderful promise in Matthew 11, 28, and, and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of the greatest commands and one of the greatest promises in, in all the Bible. It's Jesus' invitation to come. That's his invitation for us to come to him. What's it say? When we're, when we're burned out, when we're, when we're discouraged. Um, and, and what does he say to, to do? Take our yoke. When, when we get like that, take my yoke upon you. In Jesus' day, this meant coming under a person's leadership and walking in that person's footsteps. Like we read in 1 John 2.6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's taking Jesus' yoke uh, upon you and walking the way he walked. He'll teach us to walk that way. He'll guide us every step of the way if we, if we will just do it. When believers take Jesus' yoke, they place themselves under his domain. Only when they do, only when they do, his followers enjoy the day by day from stress that God in, intended for us to enjoy. You know, and that's for the believer. And, and you know, for those that, that don't know Christ, um, th this verse is saying to them, too, is to come. Yeah, just th to come to, to me, to come to, come to Jesus and, and let him lay his yoke on, on you and let him be the Lord of your life, which is what meaning a, being a true believer means, is to uh, walk the way Jesus walked. Are we going to be perfect? No. But the willingness to do that and to give up of, of, of self and to walk with the Lord um, is, is that step that needs to, that a non-believer needs to take. So, Okay. Um, let, me, let me pray and kind of close this here and then we'll go into the prayer time. Our Father, we uh, thank you for this time. Just thank you for this wonderful story of Nehemiah and Father, the man of God he was, and just Father, the man of prayer that he was, the man of faithfulness. Father, just how you used him as an example for us, and um, Father, when we face fear like we looked at last week, when we face discouragement, Father, like all of us are going to, and, and things are going to happen in this uh, world we live in, and um, Father, in this Im imperfect world, not a world like you designed it to be, but Father, you have uh, made a way for us by just the, these principles that we looked at tonight, these promises that we can rely on. Father, you have, you have told us to, to come to you, and Father, that you will give us rest, that we can lay, lay that discouragement on you, lay that fear upon you, and we can count on rest, Father, if we will just Take on ourselves that yoke that you'll wrap us in, those loving arms that you will wrap us in, and that you will walk, you will walk with us um, through everything we face. I just pray that we're able to do that, Father. I just pray if there's someone that just um, hasn't made you Lord of their life, that, that they have not been willing to um, let you wrap your arms around them, take on your yoke, and follow you. I, I pray that even even tonight, this week, that they would do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.